Our lesson this morning comes from the fifth chapter of Matthew's Gospel, starting with the 21st verse. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those in ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to the judgment. But I say to you that if you're angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. Go. First be reconciled to your brother and sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on the way to court with him. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. I survived. Yes, I did. Four, four hours of surgery, and I woke up in labor and delivery. I wanted to know what they did in there. The second night, three more hours of surgery, and I woke up in labor and delivery, and I was still wondering, what are they doing to me? So I went home with stuff. You know, when you have surgery, sometimes they send you home with stuff. And when they send you home with stuff, the stuff has to come out. And so last Friday, the drains came out. I still had 19 staples to come out. And every time I walked by, Tamara would get the Office Depot staple remover and kind of click it. The office staff was doing the same thing to me. Those have got to come out, click. I wonder how she's going to do it. Well, she did it, did it well. Friday morning, they all came out. And Friday was just a great day because I went home after the staples came out and I rolled over on my belly on the bed and I went, thank you, Jesus, I'm better. And it was a good day. I could take a shower and get everything wet. It was a good day because I got a haircut. Don't I look good? Don't lie in church. It was just a good day on Friday. In the afternoon, we have two dogs, and I'm taking care of the pit bull next door. And I'd had the pit bull next door playing with my two dogs, and it got to be supper time. And I figured, well, I fed all three of these dogs before in the same place. It's going to be absolutely no problem. Absolutely no problem. So now on my resume, I can say that I have pastored a Methodist church and I've been bitten by a pit bull. And I want to tell you something. When a pit bull wants to bite you, you have been bitten. And the only thing I can do with this hand right now is my texting finger works. That's it. I can't hold a pen. I can't figure out how to type. This is just going to be a fun, fun week. But cut up. The pit bull I've known since he was six weeks old. I've known him since he was little. 
I've given him treats. He's come to my house. I've petted him. I've spoiled him. I've just been dad to cut up. So when he bit me, we were both surprised. And he bit me because of food aggression, which is a dog's way of saying, I'm afraid I'm not going to get to eat. So he bit me out of fear. Hang on to that one. You and I live in an angry culture, in an angry world. You don't have to look far to find the anger. It's everywhere. Just Facebook and Instagram and all those other social media platforms are just filled with it. Somebody will make an incendiary angry comment and people feel obliged to follow up with their own incendiary angry comment and it just sort of cycles and cycles and cycles and cycles. There seems to be no end to it. Back in the 1980s, it started out in the, the therapeutic community and it's gotten into to, um, Pinterest and some of these other places that like selling things. Somebody in, came up with the idea of a dammit doll. You know what a dammit doll is? It's a doll about 12 to 18 inches high. It's made out of just absolute soft material. It's got a lot of stuffing in it. And the thesis was, if you are frustrated, if you are feeling angry, you need to express your anger. You need to get your anger out of yourself. So what you do is you take the dammit doll by the legs and you just start beating on the nearest surface you can and you express your anger that way. Or you take the doll and you just punch the doll until you're just absolutely tired and exhausted. And the dammit doll is good therapy. The psychological community followed up with this great tool and discovered that what we were doing was actually just making ourselves more angry and more frustrated. That when it comes to anger, we just need to follow the words, cut it out, quit it. So this morning, since I can't write and since I can't type, I can't make sermon notes. So what we're going to do is we're just going to frolic through Scripture, okay? I know where I'm going to start, and I know how to get to the benediction, and I'm watching the clock in the back. You are going to beat the Baptist to whatever restaurant you want to go to, I guarantee. But I just want to play with this concept of anger, and I want to play with it this way. Anger is not a primary emotion. Anger is a, an expression of fear. Dog was afraid he wasn't going to get fed. What did he do? Lashed out. Anger is not primary. Anger is secondary. The primary emotion is fear. And rather than saying, I'm afraid, 
we express our fear through anger. Goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, the third chapter, Adam and Eve have eaten of the fruit of the tree that God told them not to eat of. God is walking in the garden in the time of evening breeze and the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of God in the trees of the garden. God said to the man, where are you? And he said, Adam did. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and what? I was afraid, and I hid myself. One of the great contributors to the anger of the culture that we live in is a knowledge that people are estranged from God that they are not doing those things that are pleasing to God, that they are in fact sinners, but they won't do anything about it. And there is this nagging human experience we all have that the writer of Hebrews is correct, that it is appointed unto humanity once to die and then the judgment. And people are walking around in our culture because they're estranged from Christ, they're estranged from the church, they're not hearing the good news of Jesus Christ and they know the burden of their sins and they're afraid of the results of the burden of their sins, but they're not doing anything about it. So their fear becomes anger. And that anger is taking over. The anger hits in the fourth chapter of Genesis. I told you we're going to frolic through Scripture and you're going, oh my goodness, he's going from generation to revolution. No, I'm going to skip around. But in the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis where Cain and Abel come to the Lord with a sacrifice and Abel brings the first fruits of his flock and Cain brings a grain offering and God had no regard for Cain's offering. And the Bible says Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, you will, not, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. It's desire for you, but you must master it. And my thesis is that Cain is expressing an anger, an anger wrought out of fear, a fear that he's not acceptable to God, a fear that he's not loved by God, a fear that he's a second-class citizen in God's sight. And Cain lashes out against his brother. We're told not to be angry. No, we're not told not to be angry, but we're told don't let, Paul says it this way, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander and together with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted and forgiving. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted and forgiving. The book of James says it this way, your anger does not produce God's righteousness. You ever stood there in the mass gathering section of Walmart? You got a buggy full of stuff you need to check out? Walmart doesn't have employees to do that anymore. You get to do that for free, and you are in an absolute hurry. I don't know why you're in a hurry for this part of my sermon, but you're in a hurry, and you're watching the people 
trying to figure out those scanners, trying to figure out how to pay for their groceries. And as you're watching those people and more and more time is passing, you're becoming more and more hostile and more and more angry. What's going on? Well, you got a carload of kids in the parking lot and you need to get back to them. Or you got guests coming and they're going to be in your house in 15 minutes and you're afraid they will get there before you get there. You're afraid they'll see that you are not prepared. It happens to us when we're called to wait. We just get angry. That's where road rage comes from. We're having to wait. Now, I'll confess my road rage right now to you. Yes, hallelujah. If you are in the left-hand lane of I-20 and you are not at least driving 75 miles an hour, you need to get your heart right with Jesus. Because that left-hand lane was made for people with lead foots. I was at Super One the other day going to pick up yet another prescription. I can't get Super One to get them all on the same day. It's one, two, three, four. They just like to see my shining face. And I pulled in the middle lane of Super One because that's where everybody in that whole grocery store parks, in that middle lane. And I was the second car back at a pretty primo parking place. There was a lady who had come out of Super One, and I swear she was pushing one cart and pulling another one. She had a van. Don't know if it was a Dodge or a Toyota, what it was, but the lift gate was up, and she was stuffing grocery bags in that van, and I was amazed because she was just stacking them. It's getting higher and higher and higher, and I thought she can't get any more groceries in there, and she kept stacking. Well, the person in front of me has his turn indicator on. He wants her parking place. Okay, I can relate to that primo parking place right next to her, right next to her. The parking place is empty. What's he waiting on? Does he want to save the three steps of parking in her parking place? And I started to boil. And in preparation for my sermon, I asked myself, self, what are you angry about? You've quite enjoyed watching her stack everything in this vehicle. What are you angry about? The doofus that wants that parking place? You don't know them. What's gotten under your skin? Ah. Oh. You snuck out of the office to go to Super One to pick up a prescription and you didn't tell the secretaries. Uh-oh. Preacher can be in trouble for sneaking out of the church office without telling the secretaries. Or was it the fact you didn't tell the secretaries and somebody's going to call and ask for the preacher and they'll say, we can't find the preacher. And then somebody's going to think, well, what, what's the preacher doing? Is he confident? Is he capable? Can he really lead us? You know, that's what anger does to you. You start playing out all these internal scenarios that may or may not happen and your blood pressure rises and your, 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 your 
fear rises, and suddenly you're just mad at the world. Absolutely mad at the world. Jesus said, don't do it. He said, stop it before you're even talking about the doofus in the car in front of you. Don't call them names. Let it settle down before it even gets started. And then he talks about the necessity of you and I understanding what fear and anger does to us. It messes up our worship. Jesus said, look, if you're about to give your gift and you realize that your brother or sister has something against you, go be reconciled to your brother and sister and then, then go to church. But get that relationship right first. And then he takes it into the work world. He says, look, if you've been accused of something, you need to come to an agreement with your accuser quickly. So in court, it doesn't escalate. The two-prong way of handling our anger, according to Jesus, is confess it and seek reconciliation. Confess it and seek reconciliation because it sneaks up on us. And suddenly we become that person that everybody's afraid of that we have to walk on eggshells around because we don't know what's going to set them off and we don't know how their anger is going to come out or boil over. And it comes out in ways that are hurtful and it comes out in ways that, that very often... has unintended consequences. It even happens to the most biblical of people. Now they went on their way and they entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister's left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and distracted by many things. There's need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part. Can't you see Martha? She is fit to be tied. She is furious. She is in that kitchen, and every guy in this room knows what noisy cooking sounds like. She is in that kitchen. We got pots and pans flying. We got flour and sugar going everywhere. She is chopping so that the next door neighbors can hear it. Whap, 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 whap. And guys, if you want to hear angry cooking, Tonight, about the time the Super Bowl kicks off, say, honey, I want the cheese dip that has the chili in it rather than the salsa. Can you do that for me? Rawr. Martha is getting angry because she's afraid. Afraid of what? 
afraid that her best isn't good enough, afraid that what she's prepared for Jesus won't be accepted, afraid that she is missing what is really important, and that's sitting in the presence of the Lord. There is an antidote to all this, and it's a simple one. Paul in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians put it this way, love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never ends. Doesn't that sound like the antidote to fear and anger? Love is patient, love is kind, it's not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It's not irritable, it's not resentful. It rejoices in the truth. If my thesis is correct, and anger is secondary, it is the expression of fear then love is the antidote. 1 John 4.18 There is no fear in love. Perfect love cast out fear. What are we afraid of? If God is for us, who's against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or famine or peril or nakedness or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through the one who loved us, Paul said. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor principalities, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. If Jesus loves you, and he does, what is there to fear? Would you stand and pray with me? We pray, O oh God, that we would learn to live in the center of your love, that that love would be strong for us and real for us, and that the things we fear, we would surrender to your great love. O oh God, help us to love others as you have loved us, and help us to love our life and our callings and our service and our work without fear and without anger. We pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.